good to be back with you, and I understand I'm coming back with you along with Pastor George after several weeks away. And now that it is July, and if the weather actually begins to break, it's going to start feeling a little bit like summer, will it not? Now, for the rest of this particular summer, I wanted to direct our thoughts back, as I have in the past, into the book of Psalms. As I've looked back over the last couple of years, it seems that going to the book of Psalms has become a summer habit for me. In the last two years, we've actually taken one psalm at a time uh, during the summer and, and, and dealt with it. And to be honest, uh, the book of Psalms is, is my favorite place to go in the Bible. Now, you'll find it, if you have your Bibles there, tucked into the middle of the Old Testament. It has been called the hymn book of God's people. In fact, the word psalm means a poetic and sacred song. That's what it means. And it's no surprise that many of the 150 psalms in that book are all accompanied by a musical instruction. Play this one with a harp, or play this one with the guitar, or play this one with the, with the flute. And, and, and there are instruments along with this, sacred songs. Now I've wondered sometimes why I find myself drawn to the psalms. What is it about them that seems to take me beyond words and why is it that I, too, seem to find God there so often? Um, it, I think it has something to do with the fact that it is poetry and that it is lyrical in nature and that it is accompanied by song. It has, it has something to do with the way God has created us and it might explain why it does something to us and why the book of Psalms seems to unlock something from within. I think I mentioned a couple of years ago of a remarkable insight that I gained through a very dear friend, the, the first assistant pastor that I had when I came to Bethany, uh, uh, Warren Hoffman. Some of you may remember Warren. One day I was uh, sitting in my, in, in my office working when I, when I heard in his office, which was right above me, I, I heard him singing. And it was, it, was, it was a very odd song. Now, he was a very musical guy, but the song was, was very, very strange. And so I got up and I walked by his office and I stood there and I listened as I noticed he was singing into a tape recorder. And the song went a little bit like this. I love you. You're the best mother in the whole wide world. And I've been a good boy and I've been thinking of you. Give my best to dad. Okay. I, I, I have no idea who wrote that song. I, I know we got, you know... <laughs> I, and I was thinking to myself, what, uh, what is going on here? And then I thought, well, okay, I probably should let him be and give him some space. He's been very busy these days, and maybe he's beginning to crack up. Uh, but, but a little bit later, I, 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 I thought, okay, I've got to ask him. I, my curiosity is too much. And then he explained to me what he was doing. You see, his mother had, in fact, suffered a severe stroke that had left her unable to communicate. She could not talk. She couldn't converse. You may know that I talk about, those of you who are medical people, um, it, 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 it was ultimately frustrating, not just for his mother, but also for himself and his father as well. Uh, you could tell that she, she knew what she wanted to say, but she had no way of saying anything. And her husband, Warren's father, uh, would, would spend his days at her side in the care home reading to her, but there was no conversation. Until one day, instead of reading, he decided to, to sing, and he, he sang a very simple hymn. And to his utter astonishment, she joined in with him, singing as well. 
And she sang along with him word for word. It was, it was a complete and utter surprise, but, 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 but later the medical staff confessed that, in fact, this is the case. Apparently, song draws on a different circuit in the brain than speech does. And while, while the stroke had robbed her of the ability to speak, song had unlocked a whole new, new dimension of her being and, and her ability to communicate. It was almost as if her heart just somehow poured itself out and she could sing and, 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 and her husband and her son could sing back with her. And so back and forth they would sing. And, and the treasure of a relationship that had in fact been surrendered and given up for loss was suddenly recovered. And for just a few more years then, before she died, they were able to communicate through this song. And so when I read the book of Psalms, I imagine uh, this image opens up my understanding. It's as if in opening this book, God is using poetry and music and lyric and verse and, and, and song to unlock a special place in our heart that has, in fact, been barricaded from sound. So it's, it's a good thing for us, and, and, I, and it is my prayer that God would then use our study of the psalm to open up a door very special, not just in your heart, but in the heart of Ebenezer as well. That God would, in fact, use our, our weeks and our time together this summer to whisper into our hearts something fresh and, and, and breathe something something rich into the relationship that he really wants to have with every single one of us. Now, I I was tempted to hop around the book of Psalms over the next few weeks like I've done in the past, but the more I prayed about it, the more I found myself really stuck upon the one psalm that I'm pretty sure every single one of you know and are familiar with. It's a very tender psalm. Some, some of you can recite it in your sleep, and, and, and most of you, well, you sh- sure should have at least heard the lines. It has been called the most beautiful psalm and the most beloved of all psalms, and it is Psalm 23. And I ask you to turn there with me to that psalm. It, it is my goal by the end of, the t- of this summer, by the time we are finished studying it in these weeks, you too would know it by heart as we go through it phrase by phrase but even more that you would take it to heart as well. Now, you'll find it in the worship folder uh, also, and so I'm going to ask you to, 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 to just, as we enter into it, to read it along with me using the translation that you find in your worship folder. I know it comes out in different translations in different ways, but let's just read this together. Would you read with me? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
That may have been difficult for some of you. Like me, you may have memorized it as a child in the King James Version. And uh, you stumble over the words. But that's a good thing because the English is so limited. And using the different translations opens up the richness of the Hebrew thought. Now, to understand this psalm, you understand, need to understand the setting of the psalm. Psalm 23 is one of a trilogy of psalms. A trilogy, three psalms that stand together. As you have your Bibles open, you'll notice that you have Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Psalm 24. It's in the middle of the trilogy. Each one of those three psalms is directly related to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ. If you look at Psalm 22, the the, the first of the trilogy, you will see there painted a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ where he serves as the Savior. And you can just write that word down, Savior, Psalm 22. And he does so through his death on the cross. When he is on the cross, Psalm 22 is the psalm that not only describes the scene, but is it is in fact the one that provides the verses that Jesus recites when he is on the cross. Psalm 22, verse 1. Jesus recites that on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you would identify Christ in Psalm 22, you might be tempted to use that one word, Savior. Mark it down, Psalm 22, Jesus, dash, Savior. Now jump over to Psalm 23 and you go to Psalm 24. And there you have a picture of the future. The day when the Messiah returns. When Jesus comes back and reigns supreme. Look at verse 1. This is that moment when the earth and everything in it and everyone in it are under his authority. He is, as you see in Psalm 24 in verses 7, 8, and 9, the King of glory. He has returned once again. And again, if you would identify Jesus in Psalm 24, you might want to use the word sovereign. You see, I'm going for the alliteration here. Psalm 22, he is the Savior in the past. In the future, he is the sovereign Lord. (coughs) And at one end you have Psalm 22, Jesus the Savior, and the other end, Psalm 24, he is the sovereign. But you may ask yourself the question, what about life in the middle? The past has already been taken care of, and the future is, in fact, certain. What about life in the middle? If at the cross he was a savior, and if when he comes again he will be the sovereign, what about life right now? And there's where we have Psalm 23, where Jesus Christ is the shepherd. Now, you'll want to pay real close attention to this psalm because that's where you and I are living right now. We are stuck in the middle of time between his, his, his coming once and his coming again. And you may wonder to yourself, where does Jesus fit in my life right now? Or even better yet, where, where do I take my stand together with Jesus and enjoy that relationship with him? And you'll find that answer within this psalm. The psalm begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now the word that David uses here for Lord is in fact the the, the most supreme name for God that the Hebrews had. It was the name Yahweh. 
And the Jew, Jewish people were so awed by that name that they could not bring themselves to say it. In fact, when I was in Chicago and I had, I had several uh, Jewish Christian messianic Jewish seminary interns who struggled whenever they used that word God because it was a carryover from their, their, their respect for the word Yahweh. And in fact, even when they would write down, they would always put down G with a dash mark and D because it was so supreme for them. That's the word we have translated here as Lord. The Lord. It is a name filled with awe and majesty. And it is something penned in eternity that, 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 that really does escape our vocabulary here and now. And so the psalm begins with the words, the Lord, the majestic one, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, the one who overarches all of heaven and earth, the Lord, the one who is the one who cares then about the simple matters of your life and brings to you a care that will, that will touch you with guidance and care just like that of a shepherd. Now look very carefully. There are two simple words that appear in this verse that really make all the difference of the entire psalm. And they are personal pronouns. I and my. He is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's been my experience, and I I fully suspect that there are millions, possibly billions, who could easily accept the truth of this psalm if it would simply read the Lord is a shepherd. Oh yes, I believe that there is a God and, and that there may actually be some people who qualify for his attention, but, but, but I don't know that that extends to me. Uh, uh, there are other options that are out there, and, and, and I don't know that I am really that special to this God. But the Lord is a shepherd, a shepherd. I can accept that, but I have no idea how to make it personal. Which leads the question, where do I fit into this equation of him as a shepherd? Now, I might be able to picture Jesus as a shepherd. I mean, I've seen the pictures in Sunday school, but that I fit into the picture, I'm not quite sure how that works. How am I able to find myself with God in this picture? Now, if, if if you mark your place in the Bible as Psalm 23, Jesus himself answers that question when he picks up that same shepherd theme in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Because there, Jesus fills in the blanks. And he accepts the title of shepherd, the title given to him in Psalm 23. And then he makes this declaration. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. You want to know where my sheep fit within my heart? Here it is right now. How am I able to confirm my place, my position, and relationship with Jesus as a shepherd? Here, Jesus offers two answers, or I guess you might say two tests for us to take. The first is, can you hear him? Sounds like a Verizon commercial, doesn't it? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear him? Uh, You see that in John chapter 10, verse 27. They hear me. 
You have to ask yourself uh, the question, have you ever come to that point in your life where you have sensed that God was really trying to get your attention? Maybe that's what brought you to church here this morning. That, that there was a stirring of, uh, in your soul, something like a whisper of conviction that, that, that there, was, there was a voice out there trying to get your attention, a conviction that gives you pause. That for whatever reason, maybe it was the circumstances of, of your life, but you sense that there's someone of power and majesty calling your name. I had to laugh two years ago, <clears throat> or several years more than that, actually, uh, Hurricane Charlie ripped its way through the, the, the state of Florida. Now, you can imagine the effects that a hurricane have. Signs and billboards are usually the first victims of, of violent storms. You know, they, they're like sails in the wind. They're gone. They just fly away. But there was one on Sand Lake Road in Orlando, Florida, that had survived the hurricane's 100-mile-plus winds. The only damage that, that was incurred was that the advertisement that was on that billboard when the hurricane struck had been peeled back to reveal an earlier message that had been there before. You can see the picture. I have a picture of it. On the black background are five words behind the peeled message. It said, we need to talk. God. <laughs> have there ever been any times in your life whenever it seems that the storms have come through and you have found yourself somehow sensing that there is a, another voice speaking that is getting your attention? My sheep hear my voice. You'll know where the shepherd fits in your life when you realize that the voice you hear in your soul is, in fact, the Lord, the shepherd, who is calling you by name. My sheep listen, and they hear my voice. He goes on to say, and I know them. Look at that back in John chapter 10. I know them, and they follow me. He knows you. That's why he is able to call you out by name and whisper in your soul and get your attention. He knows you. Now all that's left is really that you then follow him. They follow me, John, uh, uh, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 27. And that word follow carries a number of thoughts. The sheep trust the shepherd. They respond to the shepherd. They have confidence in the shepherd. They rely upon the shepherd. And as a result, they then simply follow the shepherd. A whole product of, of, of conviction that, that works its way into a simple step. And the product of this obedience becomes a secure destiny. And he says, I give them eternal life and a confidence then to face this life. Neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. That's what Jesus promises in John chapter 10. Take all of that explanation straight from the mouth of the one who is shepherd and go back to Psalm 23 
And then you find out what happens when the Lord becomes your shepherd. You are able to speak with confidence. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now let me pause and ask the question. How aware are you of your wants in life? And then where do you turn to satisfy those? Where do you turn for help? Who do you count on to be your shepherd to supply your needs? Your husband? Your wife? Who do you expect to satisfy your needs? Your pastor? Your parents? Your psychiatrist? A close friend, maybe. All of them may be splendid and wonderful people, no doubt. But the fact is, none of them are a shepherd or of shepherd material. Why is that? Because they are sheep too. And according to the Bible, when you come to that place in your life where all of its details, needs, wants, and desires come under the care of the good shepherd, the Lord who is shepherd, you can then say with a deep sense of abiding certainty, I shall not want. The phrase that David uses here, I shall not want, in Hebrew, is probably better translated in this way. I am never in a state of need. That's how the Hebrew draws it. I may not be in a state of abundance in my life. I may not be living in the lap of luxury. But I am certainly held in a relationship firmly in hand by a Lord who loves me and and gives himself to me each and every moment of each and every day. And that provides this gentle and practical point of grace. When you know who he is and you know who you are in relationship with him, then you are in a position to receive all that he has to give. And as Jesus promised in the Gospel of John, that brings a firm and steady sense of confidence to allow you to face the day because he holds you in hand and and, and gives you a solid sense of destiny because he has already given you that gift of eternal life. What more could you want? Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want at any time for anything. That is the key to this whole psalm. And that is the key to life. Let me close by sharing a little story told by by the pastor, Leith Anderson, balanced on this particular verse. He writes this. He said, "For, For more than 50 years, my father was a pastor and he conducted numerous funerals. He said, I particularly remember the tragic death and funeral of my best friend's father. My father often told the story about a little boy who was desperately ill. His parents recognized that he probably soon would die, and so they sent a local pa- for a local pastor, my friend. And he came at night to visit this child who was semi-conscious. He was unable to speak and apparently had never spoke in any acknowledgement of the pastor's presence. The pastor was alone in the child's upstairs room and left late at night. He returned early the next morning after the boy had died, and he did his best to console the parents. He prayed with them, and he grieved with them. Later, 
the parents asked the pastor if he had any explanation for something quite unusual that had happened at the child's death. They told the pastor that in the hours before their son had died, at the time of his death, he was holding the finger of one hand with his other hand, and he died in that position. It was then that the pastor explained what he had said to the boy that night before in the child's room. He had wanted to explain to the child on the edge of eternity, who was just balanced on the edge of death, not only the importance of being a Christian, but to do it in a child's language, how to become one. He said he had taken a hold of his son's hand and, and at first held one finger and it said, the, because we're talking about one of the, um, one of the kind, the Lord. And, and, and then he, the, the second finger was Lord, the, one of a kind, the second finger, Lord. And then for the next finger he said, God himself is right here. And then the next finger he said, my, the Lord is my shepherd, my This is a personal commitment and relationship. That was the last finger. The Lord is my shepherd. The one who owns me, who died and who cares for me, and the one who has given me the life, uh, the, the gift of eternal life. While that little boy had not spoken, it was evident that that child had actually heard. And before he died, he he put his hand around that finger as to say. The Lord is my shepherd, my shepherd, my shepherd. This morning, as I close, I'm going to ask you to do something with me, and I hope by the time that we're finished with this study through the book of Psalm, or through the, this one psalm, you will know it by heart. But I want you to repeat it with me in a personal fashion, and as I do, I want you to <laughs> take a hold of that finger. I know we hold our hands in prayer. Just hold that finger with that picture in mind. And then go back to the bulletin and, and say it once again with me, this time, with the firmness of a commitment to Jesus. Would you say it with me again? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And gracious Heavenly Father, there is something so tangible about this. I I, I hold the hands of my grandchildren as I guide them through life over these last few weeks, even just the image of holding one finger brings to them a sense of safety and security and and closeness 
the closeness that we share in love. And yet, as I hold this now, how much greater is the love that comes from heaven, from a heavenly Father, through a wonderful Savior? Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your love and Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your guidance and your care. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for everything. And even in this, in obedience to your word, I once again affirm in my heart, I am yours and you are mine, and all of this forevermore. This is our prayer, and this is our confidence. This is our hope. This is grace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.